Lord, we thank you for time this morning to be with you. And Lord, those people that we have in mind, whether that's us or somebody else, God, I pray that those things would be done, that chains would be broken, that lives would be healed, that eyes would be opened, and Jesus, that you would be revealed. Lord, we love you and we're grateful to you for everything that you do for us. God, we're grateful that for many of us, chains have been broken and our eyes have been opened to who you are. Would you do that for those people who we're praying for? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I sound echoey. Kind of fabulous, like Britney Spears. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I have the Britney mic. Do you hear? I can hear an echo in myself. <laughs> Is that just me? <laughs> Ooh. Okay. You know, thank goodness. Thought I was going crazy, Kathy. Ooh, praise the Lord. I know it's just going to, you know, it's going to be back and forth all day. <laughs> Good morning. We are in our fourth and final sermon in our waiting room series. And if this has not been your favorite series, then let me tell you what. You've been waiting for this day. <laughs> oh, she's not funny. <laughs> What's going on? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so this morning, to start off with, I'm going to let you in to just kind of give you a clear picture of my family and um, of me. And I hope that you won't judge me for it. But if you do, I get it. I understand. Okay. <laughs> so I grew up in Minnesota, as many of you know. Um, it's very cold up there, but during the summers, they're beautiful. There are so many lakes and rivers and, you know, big puddles to swim in. And um, I loved swimming growing up. You know, in my, in my family, I wouldn't call us country necessarily because it's the north. So can you really be country if you're not from the south? I don't know. But we're, you know, more inclined to be outside than maybe some other families. And so we would go to a bunch of different spots, go camping. And I think every single person in our, my family had their very favorite place to camp. You know, they had that one spot that just held a lot of meaning for them that they loved to be at, you know, and that's where they would always suggest that we go. Well, I spent most of my growing up in Minnesota years every weekend going to my great aunt and uncle's house and spending time with them. And their favorite place to go and my favorite place to go um, was this place called Potawatomi. And you're going to hear me say that a lot this sermon, so just get the giggles out now. Potawatomi. It's fun. It's a fun <laughs> word to say. Uh, the way it's spelled doesn't really make any sense, but that's okay. You don't have to look at it on the paper. I just do. Um, <laughs> so Potawatomi, it's in Barnes, Wisconsin. So, you know, not Minnesota, just a little bit south. Uh, but it was beautiful. And my great aunt and uncle, they have a lot that they own there at Potawatomi Estates. Um, and there's this lake there. And this is the reason that I love this place. There's a lake there, and it's called Island Lake. And so it was kind of difficult to get to, so I'm going to show you a picture. Um, this is a terrible picture for one, but can I tell you how hard it is to find pictures of Potawatomi? You know, <laughs> like you look that up, and it's like, I'm not, did you mean this? Like, no, I meant Potawatomi. I know what I'm talking about. Okay, this is, it's hard to see, but this is called the Wanigan. And the Wanigan is like a meeting house. I know, it's Minnesota, am I right? Uh, this is called the Wanigan, and it's a meeting house. It's a place where you can go to like, uh, you know, if you're going to spend a day at the lake, you can have your lunch there. 
You know, you bring your food, you stick it in the fridge, you can do your dishes. They have showers there. They have tables for if you want to just stop and play a game with your family. There was this crazy, wild merry-go-round outside the front of it. And, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I got sick on that thing. But I got on it every time, nonetheless. Um, and right down the hill from the Wanigan is the lake, is Island Lake. And it's beautiful. And so sometimes what would happen is I would start running down the hill you know, I would get to about halfway, and I would just book it, and it was a race, an all-out race between me and my cousins to see who could make it to the end of the dock and into the water fastest, you know, and sometimes that meant that you biffed it, <laughs> and you ate dirt, <laughs> but that's okay, because you just get up and keep running and wash your face off in the lake when you dove in. Okay, but this lake, it was beautiful. Island Lake, it was beautiful. It even sounds beautiful. Island Lake. You know, it sounds almost tropical if you weren't, you know, in a head-to-toe swimsuit because it's so cold. Um, but it was, it was beautiful. You could hang your feet off the edge of the dock, and you could see straight down to the bottom of the lake. You know, you could see the little minnows and the perch that were all around your feet. Um, and there were no turtles in this lake, which, for those of you who know, I'm scared of turtles. Okay, I've caught one too many in my lifetime, and man, they hiss. They are not friendly guys. No turtles in this lake, which just made it a real mm, mm, delicious lake. Um, <laughs> when you swallowed the lake water there, you just felt mm, hydrated and energized. Okay? <laughs> no turtles is the best. Okay, <laughs> but here's the deal. The level of this lake, like the water level of this lake, was really dependent on the weather. It was really dependent on, um, you know, whether or not we had had a lot of snow in the winter and the fall. And if we hadn't had a lot of snow, if it had been a pretty dry winter, then the level of the lake would kind of go forward. You know, they'd have to move the dock forward to meet the water so you didn't just like jump off the end, face plant into the dirt. <laughs> so one particular summer that we were there, this is the part where I just, I really hope you guys will take it easy on me, not judge me, okay? But one particular summer when we were there, this whole lake isn't clear. I should clarify that, just the edges you know, just like the shore of the lake. Um, and so this particular summer, we went, and you could see the line of, of like, you know, seaweed, or lake weed, for lack of a better term. You know, this murky, nasty, slimy weeds that would grow on the bottom of the lake. And like normally, any other summer, that had never been a problem, you know, because it's, it's, pretty and it and the water would always come way up so we didn't have to worry about that not this summer no um, and I will tell you some families grow up telling their kids about you know the boogeyman or vampires you know or or ghosties you know not my family no my family was much more practical my family grew up telling us stories of muskies which are a fish muskies the size of which if your foot got caught in their mouth they'd, they'd pull you under and that'd be it They'd have a feast for lunch, you know? Or sturgeon that were so big that if you caught them, it would flip your boat over. And I'll be honest with you, that did happen. You, you heard every once in a while a story of a sturgeon flipping a boat. Okay, but for the most part, sturgeon just hang out at the bottom. They weren't my main concern. But the muskies, these are fish with teeth. These are fish that eat other fish, okay? And so if they're going to eat other fish, and there are minnows in this lake, Man, my toes must have looked, you know, pretty tasty to these fish. Right? I'm going to show you a picture because I don't think that you're understanding where I'm coming from. This is a muskie. Okay, it's, 
disgusting. Do you see that fish? Uh, paging Jesus, why did you let this happen, Jesus? Look at that. Do you see that fish? And then look, this is how big they can get. Are you kidding me? What parent in their right mind would tell their kid about this? You know, I, I, I can't tell you the amount of fear and energy that I exerted being terrified of these fish. And then lastly, look at this. That is the roof of its mouth. That's what you didn't see in the first picture. There are more teeth than the scary ones, you know, out front. In fact, I would say these are scarier. This is a disgusting creature, right? This is terrifying. Okay, and so this particular summer, I'll tell you what, I spent more time on the very, you know, on this side of the dock than I did any other summer. Because that weed line was right at the edge of the dock. And so when you jumped off, your feet would get tangled in it just for a brief second. But it was a long enough second to convince me that a fish had my foot. Okay, that summer was a rough summer for Valerie. Disgusting fish. <laughs> Scary. Did you see the fact that their teeth went back? They put it back into their mouth. If your foot got caught in that, that was it. That was it. You know, I was convinced that summer I was going to be eaten by a muskie. So there's something else you should know. Every summer, my older cousins, my second cousins, they were much older than me, had a tradition of launching themselves off of the end of the deck as far as they could, and then just booking it, swimming to the other side of the lake. Um, and that's a cool tradition, you know, and, and this year was especially contentious because the water level was low enough that it meant they didn't have to swim as far. You know, it meant less, less distance that so you had to travel in the water. And so I got it in my head that because they kept saying, well, this year's going to be easier, that I would do it for the first time. I was going to do it. Here's a picture of Island Lake. It's really pretty. See, you can see the other side when you're standing on the one. It's not like a huge lake by any means. But also, do you see how dark that water is? Yeah, and so this particular summer, they launch themselves off the end of the dock. They start swimming. I start swimming after them. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to the other side of that lake. You know, and, and I'm not a super strong swimmer, so it wasn't really about winning to me. It was about participating, you know, being a good sport, because we all know that's what I am, right, Greg? <laughs> oh, we played a vicious game of spoons yesterday. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm swimming. I'm swimming, and everything is going fine, because I'm, I'm getting somewhere. Um, and then I start to feel, you know, like a tickle around my belly button area. And I look down. <gasps> Disgusting. There's lake weed touching my stomach. Vile. Okay, absolutely disgusting. And so I slowed down. You know, I slowed down because I was like, this is gross. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> uh, and I slowed down, you know, and whereas I had been swimming this way and the lake weed was tickling me this way when I slowed down. Oh, bad. All of a sudden it started to get wrapped around my legs and I could feel the slime and I just, you know, it was almost like I could sense the presence of another being in the lake right in front of me, one that might want my toes or my fingers or my whole foot. And I just looked at the water and I said, I, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And so halfway, I got halfway across that lake and I turned around. 
And I said, no, this is not, in fact, the year that I will be crossing the lake by swimming. Mm-mm, mm-mm, it's disgusting. I can't do it. And so I turned around, right? And my cousins were waving to me on the other side. They had made it a long time ago. You know, older cousins, of course, they just had to show me up. They got there so fast. Lakeweed didn't seem to bother them, you know, but me, I was like, this is gross, I can't do this, and I swam back to shore. And I saw them on the other side waiting for me and waving, and they they waited for a long time. But I couldn't make myself get back in. I couldn't make myself get back into that water and swim in their direction. It was too scary. There was too much lakeweed to entangle me, and there was way too many fish that I couldn't see in the lake that I was scared of. And I wonder if maybe any of you have ever felt this way. If maybe any of you have felt this way in your walk with God. You start going, and last week we talked about the difference between a time to wait and a time to go. You start moving toward what God has for you, toward the the direction that you hear his voice. But you can't quite make yourself make the next step. Or maybe, like me, you get scared, and you turn around, and you book it the other way. Because what you meet while you're trying to accomplish that goal, while you're trying to reach the other side of the lake, is disappointment. Man, this water isn't as high as it was, and now I can feel that lake weed discouragement. You know, they made it so fast, and I don't think I can make it at all. You know, or fear, I'm sure that there's a fish in this water that is set on eating my foot. Maybe you would say to yourself, you know, all I can feel is lakeweed twisting around my ankles, and I don't know how much further I can swim. And so maybe this week, this sermon is for you. Because this week, we're talking about how to wait when you're wading in deep waters. Get it? (laughs) We have covered all manner of things in this sermon series. We've talked about, at the beginning, our focus and how our focus determines our direction. And then we talked about waiting on God and how painful that can be sometimes. And last week, we talked about the difference between waiting on God, and moving toward him. This week, we're going to talk about what happens when you're making steps toward him and you just get stopped. You either stop in your place or you run the opposite direction because you're discouraged. How do we wait when we're discouraged? How do we get to where God wants us to be when we are scared and overwhelmed and anxious? How do we wait when we can barely keep our heads above water? How do we wait when it seems like we've been waiting forever and every step that we take makes the shore seem even further? How do we get to the other side of the lake to fulfillment of promise, to the end of our goal when there's just too much disappointment? In the first sermon that I preached in this series, we walk through what it means to keep your focus when you're living in a waiting room. When all you can do is wait, and you can't see another step, when you're stuck in prison. But this is the kind of waiting that you do when you're taking steps and things just don't seem to be falling into place. And see, in that first sermon, I told you that your focus 
in life determines your direction. Your focus determines your trajectory. And today we're going to talk about how your faith, it's your faith, it's what you believe that determines your actions, that determines the steps that you take. And I'll show you what I mean. Uh, This morning we're going to be in Hebrews 11, which is my very favorite chapter of the Bible ever. Um, It's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's so encouraging. This chapter, Hebrews 11, is often called the Hall of Faith. Because in it we see the stories of so many who have gone before us who were met with terrible circumstances. They were imprisoned, they were beaten, they were given a promise that they couldn't see the fruit of but that they still persisted. And we're going to start in verse 1. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. These two verses frame the rest of this chapter for us. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. And as we're reading the stories of the people that we find in this book of Scripture, you will see that it's the faith that they were commended for. Not their mighty acts. Not anything that had to do with something of their own will, but their faith. The hall of faith. Their faith is what got them into this chapter of the Bible. Let's skip to verse verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Who is Enoch? He's mentioned like very briefly in scripture. And yet he still finds his way into this chapter. So if you, Enoch's story actually takes place in Genesis 5. So if you go all the way back there, you get this long list of genealogy of Noah. And Noah is the one who built the ark. Noah is the one who had faith enough to look into the eyes of all of the people that said that he was crazy and to build a giant boat. Noah comes from Enoch. Okay, so Enoch comes from there, and you know what scripture says about about Noah's genealogy? Everyone died. I know, it's profound, right? A genealogy, and everyone has died. Except for Enoch. Enoch sticks out like a sore thumb in this passage, because you get paragraph after paragraph that ends this way. He lived a total of X amount of years, and then he died. But then you get to Enoch, and it says Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. He totaled out his life at 365, and then he was no more because God took him away. What? That seems like kind of a lot of information to put into one genealogy, one list, one place in Scripture. And yet you have to know that the author of this this chapter that we're reading, the author of Hebrews 11, had heard that story enough, had heard of the faith of Enoch enough that they listed listed Enoch in this chapter. 
This was a story that was passed down from generation to generation. Faith like Enoch, who didn't die, he was taken away. That's incredible. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The faith of Enoch is what we see here. And we can't miss this because without faith like Enoch had faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to believe that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he has said he will do. We have to have faith like Enoch. In other words, without faith, we can't get to where God wants us to be. The answer to that question that we've been asking, how do I get from where I am to where God wants me to be, is very simple. Without faith, you don't. You don't get to where God wants you to be. Without faith, we will never move from the spot that we're in. And without faith, which is what? We've already defined it. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. That is faith. Without faith, we will never swim across the lake. We will never walk across the room and have a tough conversation. We will never be able to trust gravity again. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we cannot see. Without that, we will never get where God wants us to be. Anchor, do you believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him? Do you believe that? Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's beautiful. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Most of us know this story, the story of Abraham. His story also happens in Genesis but the promise that God makes him is in Genesis 12. And here's a basic breakdown. Abraham, or Abram, as he's called at that point in his life, is called to walk away from everything that he knows. He's called to walk into enemy territory because God has promised him something. So Abram walks away into the desert wilderness and toward a land overrun by Canaanites. He walks into what he doesn't know, and he leaves behind everything that he does. He leaves behind his comfort and his safety, his routine, in the hope of a promise, in the hope of what he cannot see. 
And God tells Abraham and his wife, who can't have children, go, and I will make you into a great nation. See, without faith, there's no action after the word go. Without faith, we hear go, and we stay. Even though it may have seemed that there was no way that the Lord could make Abraham and Sarah into a great nation, they went. And if you read their story, you will see where they went wrong, where they didn't wait well. But that didn't mean that God still hadn't made a promise, a promise that he intended to fulfill and that he did. What you believe determines your actions. They went because they believed God. And what happened? God fulfilled his promise to Sarah and Abraham. He gave them a son named Isaac. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The same son that God had fulfilled, the same son that God had given them to fulfill that promise, when asked to, Abraham was willing to sacrifice. Abraham not only believed God enough to take his wife out into the desert, into enemy territory, he believed God enough that when it came time to give up the fulfillment of promise, he knew that there must be more from the Lord. He knew that whatever the Lord had on the other side of that sacrifice, man, it must be an even greater joy than my son. And he was willing to sacrifice him. And we know the end of this story. We know that God instead provided a ram. That God instead said, Isaac, you can get off the table. And that Isaac was spared. But it's that kind of faith that we're talking about. The faith that says, beyond my current pain, I will trust the Lord. That even if the Lord is the cause of my current pain, I will trust him. That when God says, sacrifice the thing that I have given you, you do it. That's incredible faith. Listen, we will encounter disappointment in life. If we haven't already, it's coming. I'm sorry to tell you. Every single one of us encounters things that put us in deep water. Scripture is very clear that not everyone will love us. Not everyone will be kind to us. Not everyone will want what it is that we have. Scripture is clear that we will face hardship. We will face loss, persecution, death. We will encounter sin. And we will be hurt. But Scripture is also clear about the goodness of God. Scripture is also clear that when the Lord says something, he delivers. That when he promises you something in the quietness of your heart, that you can trust it. This morning, if you are facing disappointment in your life like you never have before, you feel like you have been taking the steps toward the goal that the Lord is pointing you toward, and you're discouraged because it doesn't seem that anything is coming from it, then I only have one simple piece of advice for you. And it's going to come to you in the form of a video. Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. 
when life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Dorino singing. Ha, 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 I love to swim in. Dorino. When you want to swim, you want See, to See, I'm gonna get stuck on. now with that song, now it's in my head. Sorry. <laughs> just keep swimming. I hope that song gets stuck in all of your heads like it has been stuck in mine <laughs> all week long. Just keep swimming. And I know what you're going to say to me. Valerie, I can't see how I can just keep swimming. I am tired. I am worn out. I can't take another step. I feel trapped and exhausted and disappointment or disappointed and absolutely discouraged. So I'll say it to you again, just keep swimming. To make it to the other side of the lake, you only have one option. You have to swim. You can tread water for as long as you want to, but treading water doesn't get you anywhere. Treading water is for life survival. Treading water will keep your head above the water until someone can rescue you, but it does nothing for your fatigue. It does nothing for the fact that you are tired and exhausted. You have to keep going. That is the only way you will ever make it to the other side. Keep going. See, there are people who are counting on you to keep swimming. There are people who need you to keep swimming. And in order to keep swimming, you need the faith of Abraham. You need the faith of Enoch, that on the other side of this lake is the fulfillment of promise from the Lord. That where I have been treading water and exhausting myself, if I just keep pushing forward, if I just keep moving, I can make it. Because the Lord has pointed me in that direction. The Lord said, go across the lake, and I'll go. Not because I feel like I can, but because the Lord delivers on his promises. And if you can't find faith in this moment, if you can't find that where you're at right now, then borrow somebody else's. But you have to keep swimming. Whether you're carrying a bound Bible or using an app on your phone, I have a challenge for you this week. If you are feeling discouraged, if you are feeling disappointed or exhausted, or if you are feeling in pain, if you are feeling tired, I want you to read Hebrews 11 every single day. You're going to say to me, it's too long, and I'm going to say to you, it doesn't take that much effort. <laughs> it's not like swimming. In fact, I hope that you will come away from it encouraged. But every single day for this next week, read it. Let it sink into your hearts. Contemplate the truth that is there. Listen to these stories of faith and what happens when people remember that faith. See, when I stopped swimming in that lake that day, what I didn't realize is that I had just as much distance to cover the opposite way as I, as I had left before me. I stopped in the middle of the lake. That's the most foolish place to turn around. Because behind me is the same distance that I had to cross, but if I would have crossed it in the other direction, I would have made it. But I think we do that. I think we say, you know, I can't really see the shoreline. 
And so I'm going to give up and I'm going to turn around. But what we don't see is that the way back is so much longer. Because on the way back, guess what you're also carrying? You're carrying disappointment. You're carrying resentment. It makes that trip back much longer. You might not be able to see the shoreline right now, but I'll bet that you can see where you've come from. And maybe if you took just a moment, just a moment to tread water and to turn around and look, it would spur you forward. That day I should have kept going because then I could stand up here and victoriously tell you, I made it to the other side. And I may not have made it to the other side of that lake. But you know what? When my mom didn't know Jesus, that didn't mean that I stopped praying. And she was baptized a year and a half ago, maybe even two years at this point. When my friends didn't want to come with me to church, that didn't mean that I stopped inviting them. That didn't mean that I stopped holding a space for them here. Man, when it seems hard, it doesn't mean that we just give up that we isolate and we push everybody away and we say, no, you don't understand what I'm going through, so I won't let you in. We have to keep going. We have to keep swimming. This morning, I'm going to read the rest of this chapter to you. And if this is you, if you are, man, you're irritated with me for picking this piece of scripture to preach on, then I want you to close your eyes and just listen. There is such a beauty to be heard here. And I want you to listen with an open heart to what the Lord has in store. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. When his end was near, he spoke vision. When his end was near, he spoke of promise yet to be fulfilled. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days, seven hopeless days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. 
who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of their faith. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They did all of these things for the hope of a Messiah, for the hope of the Jesus that we now have. They live lives of faith without ever seeing the fulfillment of promise. Without ever knowing that on the other shoreline stood Jesus, ready to die for their sins. This is the kind of faith that I want to have. That it doesn't matter what I see before me, if God says swim, I swim. Because I know that he is a deliverer. I know that he makes good on his promises. If you are struggling this morning, every single day this week, read this chapter. If you are struggling to trust the Lord, try it. See what happens when you lean on him. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for the hall of faith. I'm so grateful for the names of the people that we see here. Because, Lord, sometimes I have to borrow their faith. Sometimes I don't know what to do except lean on the promises fulfilled that I have seen in others. And, God, if we are struggling with that today, would you help us? Would you give us somebody's story that we can rely on? Would you give us something to remember to encourage us to just keep swimming? God, waiting is hard. And it's hard when we take steps toward you and we don't see the fruit of it. But Lord, that doesn't mean the fruit won't be there. God, it doesn't mean that at the end of this road, at the end of this chapter of our lives, that we won't see the fulfillment of promises made. God, would you help us to trust you? Would you give us faith like Enoch, like Abraham, to keep going?